Welcome to the One Year Daily Chronological Bible Studies Podcast. This is Rodney Harrier, your host. If you are looking for a fresh and easy approach to read through God's Word and understand it, you have come to the right place. By following these chronological Bible studies, you will understand how the events, characters, and writings fit together in their proper sequence. What you learn can change your life forever. Introduction to the book of Genesis. Creation or evolution? It's an easier choice than you may think. Join us for this introduction to the book of Genesis and discover things you may never have thought about. As you probably know, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. What is the meaning and significance of Genesis? The word Genesis means beginnings. In this book, we read about the beginning of life, the beginning of man's relationship with God, the beginning of sin, which means wrongdoing or failure to do what is right, and the need to restore our relationship with God. The Bible begins with God, the creator of all life. His existence is not debated. He simply is. In fact, he is eternal. He has always existed. God is all-powerful. He spoke his will and things came into being instantaneously and out of nothing. If we believe in God who has all power and knowledge, that makes it easy. God can do anything. If God, however, is constrained to only have the power or existence we attribute to him, he is not God at all. We are. We are determining who God is and how much power he has. That's a moving target. The Bible teaches that God is absolute in his nature and he has all power. This is encouraging for if God is powerful enough to create everything in six days, he is powerful enough to help us with our problems. First prophecy of the Bible is in Genesis. The serpent deceived Eve, and as his punishment, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15 The serpent would bruise the heel of a descendant of Adam and Eve, but he will crush his head. Although unclear in Adam's day, we now know this verse refers to Satan as a serpent, and Jesus Christ who will crush him in the end to restore our relationship with God. Revelation 20.10 Here we learn where sin and evil came from. If we believe sin and evil is just a cultural understanding of morality, again, it's a moving target. The Bible makes it easy by telling the story of how sin and evil came to be. This makes it easy to understand. In Genesis, we also learn about the beginning of people, groups, and nations. All of us are from Noah and his family, and they were originally from Adam and Eve's family. We were originally the human race, not Afro-American, Caucasian, Asian, and all the other distinctions we've made. 
In the book of Genesis, it teaches us that humanity became so evil that he sent a worldwide flood. And then, when the people started trying to make a name for themselves, he dispersed them into different groups at the Tower of Babel. It is called Babel because people couldn't understand each other. Then, God did something special to demonstrate his grace. In Genesis, Moses records the beginning of a particular people chosen by God from whom would come the Messiah, Jesus. These would be the children of the patriarch Abraham. We know them today as the Jewish people. After God's promise to Abram to bless him, Jesus would come 4,000 years later to save his people from their sins. And then when the nation rejected him, he would offer salvation to non-Jewish people. When Jesus died for our sins, Satan thought he won. But Jesus arose from the dead to deliver us from our sins, restore our relationship with God, and crush Satan. Belief in Christ's sacrifice for us brings us forgiveness, peace, and spiritual life. Who is the author of the book of Genesis? The author is a name, but many times throughout the Bible, the law, meaning the first five books of the Bible, and the law of Moses are synonymous. We will see this as we go through the Bible. The Jewish people or Israelites considered Moses the author of the books. Later, after Jesus arose from the dead, he joined two of his disciples as they talked and walked to the town of Emmaus. They were so filled with grief they didn't recognize him. When the disciples expressed doubts about reports of Jesus' resurrection, he rebuked them. Then Jesus shared with them and later the rest of the disciples what Moses and the prophets and the writings, primarily Psalms, said about his resurrection. By mentioning Moses, Jesus attributed him as the author of the first five books of the Bible, also called the Pentateuch. If we looked at Psalm 90, verse 1, we see Moses is the author of the psalm. In verses 1 through 6, he shows us he has a first-hand knowledge of the creation recorded in Genesis. Thousands of years after the creation of the earth, God revealed to Moses the events which only the Almighty could have witnessed. Moses must have been in awe as God described how he made the universe and all its inhabitants. Not long after we began our chronological Bible study in Genesis, we moved to the book of Job, who lived at the time of Abraham. In the latter chapters of the book of Job, God described his wisdom and knowledge in creating the world. We will take a look at this when we come to the book of Job. Now to the debate. Creation or evolution? What is the date of the earth? Is it young or old? Was it created or did it evolve? Most scholars say the date of the beginning of the earth is uncertain. Although Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones, in his chronology of the Old Testament, has researched and identified the date as 4000 BC, he even affixes the exact date and time. A little reading of the genealogical record in Genesis 5 through 11 leads us to believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old. Evolutionists dispute this young earth view. Many th liberal theologians try to make compromises with evolutionary theories, saying each day represents an era of time. 
This compromise, however, doesn't work and seriously violates the common sense interpretation of the biblical text. Moses recorded the events in Genesis 1 through 2 as God told him. In it, God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days. Then he records the completion of the events and the special day God set aside to commemorate it. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Well, we might argue, perhaps Moses didn't mean six literal days. Well, if he didn't, later he had an opportunity to correct himself. After Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, God met with him on Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, in the Sinai Desert. He gave Moses ten commandments the people were to keep. This is what Moses wrote concerning the fourth commandment, the keeping of a weekly Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and made it holy. Exodus 20, verses 9 through 11. Most of the time we can apply this principle to biblical interpretation. If the scriptures make plain sense, seek no other sense. What is the natural conclusion from reading the text? Moses meant six literal days. The Hebrew word yom, in most cases, also means a literal day, and that's the word that was used in both Genesis 1 and Exodus 20. Jesus also affirmed the record of Moses in Luke 24. What about the day-age theory? Can there be a compromise between evolution and creation? The day-age theory says that there were millions of years between each day, and each day represented a long age of time. Can there be a compromise between evolution and creation? Well, if we study the Bible closely, we'll see that evolutionary science and creation science can't be harmonized. It just doesn't work. Why, you ask? The answer lies in the order of each day of creation. Think with me together. On the first day, God said, let there be light. This was before the universe was created. No Big Bang or supernova. The light didn't come from stars, but from the only source possible, himself. In Psalm 104.2, the hymn writer tells us, He, meaning the Almighty God, wraps himself in light. As with the garment, he stretches out the heavens like a tent. By the way, in the new heavens and new earth described in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, God will again be the source of light. 
on the second day, also before God created the universe, he was forming atmospheric layers of the earth. On the third day, again, before God created the universe, he created the sky, water, earth, and plant life. Life didn't come from the ocean because it wasn't created until the fifth day. On the fourth day, God created the sun, moon, and stars. If each day were an era of time, all life would be dead and frozen if it depended on the sun. On the fifth day, God created the sea creatures and the birds of the air. This certainly doesn't fit the evolutionary model. On the sixth day, God created animals and people from the dust of the ground, not from some evolving sea creatures who got washed up on shore and gradually developed legs. Do you see, the age theory doesn't work. There's no natural solution or compromise possible. God either created and sustains all things, or he didn't, and he doesn't. This really makes the choice easy. You choose scriptures or you choose science. If the scriptures convince you that God created the earth in six literal days, stand for that truth. Be willing to be ridiculed for believing in an all-powerful, incomprehensible, wise God. Believing in creation is easier and better than embracing an evolutionary theory that says once upon a time, the natural laws were reversed. That which was simple became complex and designed itself. You and I and everything else are a fortuitous cosmic accident. This is a ridiculous assumption at best. And it sounds insulting and demeaning. Following the teachings of evolution explains why there is so much chaos, crime, and suicide in our world. Who cares? You have no value or meaning. Do as you please. It's survival of the fittest. Life has no meaning, and this life is all you've got. That sounds real great, doesn't it? Sounds real hopeful, doesn't it? Makes you want to get out there and try, doesn't it? Is the debate between evolution and creation really important? I mean, can't we just say God created it and leave it at that? No. If we can't trust Genesis 1 through 11 to be literally and historically true, how can we trust the rest of the Bible? For some who are hearing this, this view may seem shocking. You may have heard that God is a little more powerful than humanity, but certainly, if there is a God, he couldn't possibly create everything in six literal days. But the Bible says he is eternal and possesses incomprehensible power and wisdom which he exercised with creative genius in just a week. Because we can't possibly conceive of all that power doesn't mean he can't do it. And it doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He didn't just get the evolutionary process started either and then let things develop for themselves. He was personally involved. Design of each creature 
is incredibly complex and has a purpose. Even you have a purpose. The real question might be, if God is so powerful, why didn't he create everything in an instant? The best answer I've heard is this. God first created the space for the things that would inhabit them, and then he created the things. The order of the creation seems to bear that out. Study it a little bit for yourself and see if you don't agree. What about tree rings, glacier layers, and radiometric dating methods? Don't they prove we have an old earth? Not necessarily. Perhaps in unusual growth periods, a tree grew more rings, or with unusual conditions, multiple ice layers formed each year, and a radiometric and other dating methods have been proved unreliable. Let me read some of this article from Answers in Genesis called The Ten Best Evidences That Confirm a Young Earth. The ten best evidences from science that confirm a young earth are 1. Very little sediment on the seafloor. 2. Bent rock layers. 3. Soft tissue in fossils. 4. Faint sun paradox. 5. A rapidly decaying magnetic field. 6. Helium in radioactive rocks. 7. Carbon-14 in fossils, coal, and diamonds. 8. Short-lived comets. 9. Very little salt in the sea. 10. DNA in ancient bacteria. You can find all the details of this article in answersingenesis.org forward slash evidence for creation forward slash 10 best evidences young earth. You'll see links to each one of these articles. We can also believe in creation because God holds all things together by his power. Did you ever wonder why atoms don't naturally split or collapse into the nucleus? God revealed the answer to the Apostle Paul. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17. What does this mean? Even the atoms from which all life consists are held together by Christ. He sustains the universe. After God created everything else, he made humanity. We are not evolved apes. God said, let us make man in our image. This means we can think, we have emotions, and express our will. He also gave us an eternal soul. We are unique. God made us especially for fellowship with him. As his unique creation, he wants us to accomplish good things through the Holy Spirit he gave us. 
if we have believed in his Son for salvation. God the Father designed the creation, God the Son formed it, and the Spirit gave it life. These are not three gods, but three persons of the Godhead, intrinsically linked in nature and purpose. God is much greater and more powerful and wise than anyone can imagine. This same God wants a personal relationship with humanity, you and me. God loves us and sent his son to die in her place to restore the relationship lost through our first parents, Adam and Eve. When we accept this gift from God by believing that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and then arose again from the dead, we can have forgiveness, peace, and spiritual life. God comes to dwell within us and will give us the power to accomplish anything he wants. That is amazing. As we begin the book of Genesis, permit me to ask one question. Will you begin with God as your Savior? If you have made the decision, you have spiritual life, peace, forgiveness, and His presence so that you can accomplish all of God's will for you. If you haven't made the decision, please keep reading and discovering God in His Word. Enjoy Genesis. This book is foundational for the rest of the Bible. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can receive the episodes as soon as they are available. Thank you for joining us. Remember, go with God and He goes with you.